we are reading, hopefully it'll come up on the screen, but we're reading from Luke chapter 40, uh, 23, verse 44, down to 24, verse 8. So it was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Alison. Um, it's strange um, to be uh, preaching, you might think, on an Easter reading so soon after Christmas, um, but I feel quite strongly at uh, choose this passage this evening. I think it sort of picks up the theme, thinking about embracing our past and present before we step into the future. And the passage does that. Um, it's got me thinking, before we go to the passage, about um, what I believe and what the irreducible minimum of my faith is. Um, I needed to go to Theological College, some of you have heard this already today, and I think it was their mission to completely deconstruct people like me. And that means sort of take away maybe closely held things that we believe, and they pull this and they pull that, and you let go of the stuff that doesn't matter quite so much. It does matter that you're left with something um, to ground your faith on at the end of the day. And I have got a few things, you'll be reassured, to know that I do ground my faith on. But before I say what mine are, 
And this is um, probably a word for those of you who have got a faith. I probably need to ask a different question to those of you who haven't. But what is the irreducible minimum of your faith if you pull this strand and that strand and question this and that? What would you be left with? What would you not trade? If I took it away from you, your faith would implode. It's a rhetorical question. I'd love to get you chatting with each other, but there isn't time. But on what does your faith rest? For those of you who are not sure about the question and not sure about God and not sure about Christianity, or maybe you know just about enough to know what's required of you, what is it you're struggling to own in your life? What's it you're struggling to give yourself to? For for me... I believe in lots of things about God, but I would say that my irreducible minimum, and it's different for different people, is the crucifixion and the resurrection. Both and, not either or. And if you take one of those away, I have to say that my faith, from my perspective, would be worth absolutely nothing and have no power and no hope. At um, my ordination, my dad was ordained, and he um, he's from a slightly different uh, church tradition, where bits of cloth meant something. And um, uh, for those of you who don't know what this is, this is called a stole. And uh, not everyone chooses to wear one at their ordination, but I do, and mine means something to me. And my dad gave it to me, and I'll speak a little bit about my dad in a second. But on it, at the irreducible minimum of my faith, there's a, um, three nails there, shaped like a cross, and symbols that speak of the resurrection. Some Christians, um, many evangelicals, I would suggest, have a real big focus on Good Friday and uh, on the cross of the Lord Jesus, and all of us have to pass by that way. Roman Catholics, look at the symbolism of the cross. They normally have Jesus still on there. Really, really big focus. For others, and I found this when I went to the Holy Land, it's maybe more about resurrection. I think some Eastern Orthodox traditions focus on the hope of the resurrection, it's both and rather than either or. The thing that I hadn't sussed until a few months ago is that, well, actually, I've always known that I've got a bit of a bias. I've done the cross. I've done my uh, humbling before God. But I've got a bit of a bias towards resurrection. And I tend in my thinking to rush on to that point of hope What I hadn't realized up until recently is that although I do Good Friday and Easter Sunday, I've very rarely in my life done the bit in the middle. I don't do Holy Saturday. I don't like to pause and wait and ponder 
and let God into maybe some of the hard and the painful situations that I've faced. I'm in a hurry. I want to get on. Now, sometimes that might be a really good thing to do, and I don't want anyone to take away my resurrection hope. But sometimes my resurrection hope hasn't necessarily been helpful to my nearest and dearest. And I'll try and explain why. You see, for some people, dealing with stuff in life takes time. When my dad died, and this is 15 years ago, and it's not a painful thing, so I can talk about it, but dad was ill for quite a long time. He was a priest. He was a person of faith. He knew that the gates of glory were going to be open to him. There was a pathway. That's where he was going. And as he was diminished and diminished and diminished, actually, I had him, hear this right, dead and buried and resurrected long before his appointed time. Part of my faith perspective allowed me to have hope. But 15 years ago, my children were teenagers. And they didn't have the same faith perspective as me. And it's too late to change how I was, but I'm not sure that I was that understanding of their needs and their abilities to deal with death and loss and dying. I know there's some people here, actually of all ages. It wasn't very many weeks ago that a young chap, a teenager, was lost within our own community. So you don't have to be getting on a bit in years like me to understand what I'm talking about. Today, my invitation is going to be for each and every one of us to spend a little time between Good Friday, the cross of Good Friday, and the resurrection hope of Easter Sunday. I want you to be invited with me just to wait a little while on God on Holy Saturday. Now to the Bible passage for today. As the Bible passage was read, I need to confess that the middle section of the Bible passage on Holy Saturday, like that waiting day, has never been a bit of the Bible that I've chosen to hang around in very much. It's not quite twiddling my thumbs and get on with it, uh, or I'm a little bit bored, let's have the real uh, news. But I don't know why, but Easter Saturday or Holy Saturday was a nothing day for me. Well, it was a hockey day probably. I used to play sport, that's what I used to do. I didn't used to think about God And it was lucky, and I've said this to some of you, probably if you're here for an Easter talk, I'd be playing hockey on Easter Sunday too, most of my teenage life. But here, we have a man 
called Joseph, a member of the Jewish ruling council, who didn't agree with all the religious authorities. Um, but he didn't know quite what to do. He couldn't stop what was happening to Jesus. He'd been waiting for God's kingdom to come. And you can only assume that in Jesus, he found what he was looking for. He took a risk, a step of faith, asked for Jesus' body. The request was granted by Pilate. He placed him in an unused grave with a stone that could be rolled over and rolled away and rolled over and rolled away. In those days, do you know why they used to have graves like that? Because they wanted the body to decompose and be put in a bone box. It was very different from what we do these days. There was a group, it was preparation day, the day before the Sabbath with all its regulations. And a group of women, out of love, not morbid curiosity, were watching and waiting and wanting to do the right thing. They knew exactly where Jesus, their leader and teacher and friend, was buried. From their perspective, time was short. Israel was a hot country. Spices were needed to prepare the body before decomposition. Luke 23, 55. The woman who'd come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how the body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. The women, I think, needed to do something for their dead leader before the enforced Sabbath rest. Emotionally and practically, the women uh, couldn't move on because of these Sabbath regulations. They were, they were ready to do the right thing, but there was nothing that could be done. But they waited until the Sabbath was over, went to the tomb first thing in the morning to do their last act of loving service. No expectations. And they had this unimaginable surprise. Two blokes who were angels, in their fear, spoke to them. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Hallelujah. I allowed myself that at every single service so far. My belief in the physical resurrection of Jesus has transformed my life. It's transformed the lives of thousands and millions of Christians throughout the ages. The challenge for me and for you today is, as I've said before, to spend a little time sitting between the cross and the empty tomb. 
to engage with and not move on too quickly from the lessons that we might learn through Holy Saturday. Most of our lived experience, I think, is in this space of waiting. The now and not yet of God's kingdom. I invite you, slow down, pause, wait a while. And then, maybe to echo the words of Jesus on the cross that he uttered with his dying breaths, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, my everything. My hopes, my dreams, my losses, my gains. A few of you won't have listened to the radio program I listened to on Holy Saturday. It's not a bad thing. You just probably have far too interesting lives to be doing that on a Saturday morning. But if there's any sad people like me, has anyone here listened to Saturday Live on a Saturday morning? Oh, there's a couple of you. Okay, that, I'm not going to give you away. <laughs> Did anyone listen to it yesterday? No. Yesterday, was a lady came on that was interviewed who was talking about feelings. And she was talking, she said, uh, imagine a car and the dashboard and uh, warning lights going on. She said the warning lights uh, could be a metaphor for your feelings. You need to pay attention to them. They're telling you something about yourself that you need to deal with. Well, interesting, when I look at my car dashboard, there's been a warning light on there for absolutely years that I've done nothing about. I wonder whether any of the same, the one on my dashboard is not life-threatening. I'm not going to lose my salvation through that one. But there's a point there. We're supposed to listen to our feelings. Jesus models how to express and deal with emotions in a healthy way. We believe that Jesus Christ was the most emotionally intelligent person who ever lived. The Bible teaches that Jesus wept. He had joy. He expressed anger and compassion. I think that is the overriding feeling, mercy. His mercy triumphs over judgment. He knew how to process and express deep, deep feelings. He was fully human, yet fully divine. I'm very interested. I don't know anyone else wants to do this case study, but I know that I need to learn how and why Jesus expressed feelings And I need to know how to do that myself. The one I really struggle with is anger. Have any of you sussed how to do righteous anger well like Jesus? If you have, will you help me? Jesus knew when to speak and when to be silent. He'd ask questions, share a word, a parable but got to the heart of the need. Jesus knew when to weep and when to laugh. He wept over Jerusalem, thinking of them being like lost sheep, I think, when to mourn and when to dance. 
Grief and hurts not dealt with properly stay alive in us. Most of you will be aware through your phones or watching the news that we've got a royal case study at the moment about grief and loss. We pray for the royal family. Pete Scazzaro, in a chapter on grief and loss in his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, writes this. When our pain and grief goes unexpressed or unfelt, it gets buried alive. As a result, we lose access to the depth and range of feelings given to us by God and our emotional lives are compressed into tightly constricted boxes. Eventually, the feelings we bury claw their way back up through the earth of our lives and manifest symptoms such as depression, anxiety, emptiness, and loneliness. For me, these things not dealt with manifest in anger, numbness, being stony or cold-hearted. A friend of mine a few weeks ago helpfully reminded me that on the first Easter Sunday, people came to meet a resurrected and not resuscitated Jesus. I'll say that again. On the first Easter Sunday, people came to meet a resurrected and not resuscitated Jesus. Jesus was really, really dead. Really, really buried. Issues in our lives have to properly die and be dealt with for us to get them back to us differently. If we don't, and I know, like forgiveness and other things and dealing with grief, this is an ongoing process, but you've got to start the process somewhere. If we don't, they can have an unhealthy hold on us and be alive in us in a destructive way. As I've said today, I invite you, just for a few moments, to sit between the cross and the empty tomb, the now and not yet of God's kingdom. To slow down, to pause, to wait, to not move on too quickly into your hands, O oh God, I commit my spirit, all my hopes, all my dreams, all my hurts, all my triumphs, all my failures, all my life. You see, we don't have to go hunting for pain and loss. It happens. Losing a job, failing an exam, 
not been chosen for a team. Not realizing that longed for thing that's been burning on our hearts and minds. Losing a trust in a relationship, relationship breakdowns, marriage breakdowns, difficulties with a parent, a brother, a sister, a child, a friendship, even a church member. And I list all these things, believing in the God of crucifixion and resurrection and transformation and hope. What are the hurts and the pains and the triumphs and the everything that you need to bring to God today? With the negative stuff, we need to beware that we don't want to let them claw their way back up through the earth of our lives and manifest in destructive ways. I think I just want to stop. I'm going to hand over in a few moments to, to Holly and to Richard. But I suppose what I'm asking, I just feel this sort of quite strongly, and it's, it's sort of a bit of a change in me, because I, around this time of year, and some of my talk is talking about visions, a whole section that you haven't got this evening that's been cut. I thought, I read the first section at 8 o'clock, and it says sort of in my notes, stop and pause and wait. And everything within me wants to get on and do the vision and cast the vision stuff and all these things. And actually, the Lord says, no, you have to wait. You have to give all this stuff to me. You're going to have to trust me. In order for us to do the future in a healthy way, God has impressed upon me, we need to deal with the past in a healthy way. And I say to you this evening, whatever your age and stage in life or faith, don't miss the opportunity.